Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Devil's Advocates Rebuilding Hell Podcast, brought to you by the generous folks over at the Hockey Podcast Network. We have another exciting, informative, and well fuck it, rant-filled podcast coming your way. Stay tuned. I hope you enjoy. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Devil's Advocates podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Corey Fleetwood, a.k.a. the Bayou Benders, alongside Shane Ryan with what is what is the what, what are we now? The Centurion overtaking overtaking. OK, <laughs> changing it up. It's awesome. I love it. But once again, once again, we got Neil. Neil is back. Um, you know, we wanted to do an intro kind of get to know Neil last episode. That yeah. shit didn't happen, didn't make the cut. So we're, we're just doing it one yeah. episode later. Neil, how we doing? I'm doing well, guys. Uh, yeah, no, it, I didn't expect it to the whole first time I was on to just be a full-fledged debate. But uh, I'm doing well today, and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to today's topics uh, here on this one. Oh man. Well, first, first off, let's, let's find out who this new guy is. You know, um, people are trying to talk to him a lot based off of one episode of just pure, pure fun. Uh, if you guys didn't listen to the last episode, um, maybe start this one first and then jump straight over to that one. That way you get to know Neil a little bit, but, uh, I just have a couple of questions, you know? Yeah. So I believe Neil, what you're like 20, 23, 20, I'm, I'm 22 going on 23. June 15th will be uh, my birthday. Nice. So, getting close on that. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, Neil, how'd you get into hockey? And, you know, did you grow up in a hockey town? Like, we'll start well, there. I'm from, I'm from a town called Little Silver, New Jersey, which is in the, uh, the middle of New Jersey. So I've, uh, I've lived here my whole life. Um, to answer your question about how I got into hockey, uh, you know, as I was, you know, as a kid, um, I was kind of just into all sports. Um, hockey was one that I didn't watch as much, primarily because it wasn't exposed to me very often. I didn't go to games when I was very little. Um, obviously I, I didn't watch and I don't have much of a memory from the Devils winning the cup, particularly in 2003. Um, it wasn't it. Yeah, I know. I know. Shane, calm down, Shane, it, calm down. It, it's very I can just aesthetic. feel your anger. Yeah. He's, he, he, he's like, how could, how could you do this? Well, 
the first yeah, I remember really, that. The first time I really started watching hockey was actually around the 2005-06 season, the year after the lockout. Um, and the Devils were the Devils had made the playoffs, and you know, you know, it was it was pretty cool because like I just started watching the hockey, and I like immediately fell in love with the game and the speed and everything. And I remember the Carolina Hurricanes for the first time in many years, uh, just absolutely making me want to cry, like literally cry, um, by beating the Devils in the playoffs. And I ended up watching them go all the way to the uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. And what was funny is that I wasn't. I wasn't like fully a Devils fan. I just was like this hockey fan trying to learn about everything. So okay. I be I like for like a split moment of insanity. I was an Edmonton Oilers fan to the point where actually I yeah I know I actually <laughs> um I actually sent them a letter as a little kid. I sent them a letter. That is awesome. Saying I love to it. The, like right before the Stanley Cup final, I was like saying like hey like like I'm a really like big fan. Like I hope you guys like beat the crap out of the Carolina Hurricanes or something like that. And like a day or two later, I get it. I get like a, I get like a package in the mail and it was from the Edmonton Oilers. And it was like, they gave me this, this Christmas ornament. Um, they gave me a signed, uh, I think it was like a signed, I think Chris Pronger was still on the Oilers at that time. Holy I'm shit. not mistaken. So I had like a signed thing. I also had a, um, I, I also got one of his like, figurines that you put like on your shelf and stuff like that and like a letter saying like thank you like we appreciate it and they also gave me like a a, a patch as well so i actually still have the edmonton oilers um ornament um, how sick is that that is so, so that was cool. like that was like my first uh intro to hockey and then from that point started watching more and because i f- eventually figured out the devils were in new jersey and i went to a bunch of games with my dad uh it became a, a very very passionate uh, Devils fan that I'm still uh, to this day. Dude, that's sick. Um, you know, now I didn't think about it as a kid, but it's really fucked up. I guess, I guess it's a little corrupt for me to think this, but I'm like, now I'm like, man, I could easily just get like my little niece or nephew to like be like, hey, I really love you. <laughs> I love your team and get some right. shit out of it. Yeah. I feel bad for thinking that, yeah. but man, oh, I'd, I be, that I'd be lying if I didn't, if I didn't say that. that yeah, no, my, 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 my mom. mom my mom, who's very supportive of, of me, uh, she was the one that said, like, well, why don't you write them a letter? So I legitimately wrote them a letter, not not knowing how this was going to go. And, like, I think about it now and I say, I don't even realize until now just how far that letter had to go just to get to that. Because <laughs> you think about where I am. I'm in New Jersey, and I have to send it all the way over to Edmonton, Canada. And that... that Represent. Um, that, was, uh, that was pretty... It was pretty crazy, though, that, like, a couple days later, or like almost a week later, I get a response, and it was just like, "That's." Well, I don't think they. I don't. I don't know if they would do it now as opposed to when I was a kid. I don't know how much different um, sending a letter is nowadays. Just pretend you're a kid. Yeah, right. Yeah, just, Split just your right, child right with the opposite right. hand. You know, you you can't you can't give them a letter that's eligible. You know, no. legible. Just, sorry, sorry. Just explain no, no. it. No, no. on pretty, Twitter. Yeah, who knows? Who knows where that that letter is nowadays? It's probably deep in the barrels of the old uh, old arena there. Who knows? <laughs> All right. So, you know, now now you're just in cuffed, cusped with New Jersey. You're you're the Devils fan. We heard that a lot last episode. Um, is there is it? You know, we know we know who you like growing up. Uh, is there a team that maybe like a secondary team you also yeah. kind of pull for right now? Um, other than the Devils, or are you just a strict Devils fan? 
I feel I feel like this is because of what my background was when I first logged on uh, before. But um, no, actually, the only other team that I, I actually ended up becoming a fan of was San Jose Sharks. Nice. Uh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I know, Shane. You, you disgusted by everything <laughs> that I like. Um, but I, uh, my dad, for a handful of years, actually lived out in San Jose when he was getting his doctorate at Stanford. So he oh, wasn't that far away from the university. And so um, at the time he was there, the San Jose Sharks didn't exist. But when he, was, um, when he got really into hockey, particularly in the early 2000s, I want to say, he got into hockey, um, he found out that there was a team out in San Jose. So he like automatically became a Sharks fan. And once I started watching hockey consistently, um, he used to stay up with me. I used to stay up way past, way past when I should. And I used to watch West Coast games when they were on TV. I used to watch the Sharks uh, all the time. So I became a fan of them as well. And I still am to this day. So I, you know, those are the two teams that I, uh, I watch and I'm very passionate about. See, I don't even hate the Sharks. It's just, I hate the way they've done things. They've, you know, I was a huge Nabokov fan. Wait, hate the way they do things? What do you mean? They have a hard-on for Thornton and Marlowe, and they're, that's a whole different discussion. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> where, where, I don't think that's where this discussion should be going. Uh, that's a whole di- that, that, <laughs> their, their love for Thornton and Marlowe, that's a whole I different discussion. I know. But, like, and I, I was a huge fan of, like, Nabokov and whatnot, and Heatley was one of my favorite players growing up. I, I loved him mm-hmm. in, in Atlanta, and then when he was traded to Ottawa, I was super excited. <laughs> And then when he was traded to San Jose, I was like, hey, cool. More players on it, like, and with Couture and McGinn. There was a lot of connections there. So I I like them. Mm -hmm. But the way they've done things is the fact that Ottawa owns their first-round pick, it couldn't have happened to a more deserving team than San Jose. It's going to be – it's going to – Ottawa's going to have a lot of fun this upcoming draft. And I love how everyone said that, like, San Jose fleeced Ottawa. Out of that trade, no, I, 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 so. I, I am, I'm very happy with a top five pick, Josh Norris and Rudolph Balsers. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Even Chris Tierney, I'm, and Demel. Chris Tierney is very yeah. good. Chris Tierney is perfectly in Ottawa. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm he, totally. He in, he's what he's what on their second or third line. Next year, he'll most likely be our number one center. Fair nice. enough. Good for him. So like, because that man, that man is a better version of Barkley Goodrow. But that's yeah. just my opinion. Yeah. So like. Okay. I, I just I, I love that trade. I thought it was a great yeah. trade for Ottawa. Um, it it still is. It still it's, is. It, I just it like hating on. I just I've always enjoyed hating on San Jose as much as I've had players I think that I've liked on. Does. I think yeah, because it's funny. Does. I know. The only, what, they've been the most consistent California team right. since they've entered the league, mm-hmm. and they're the only one not to win a cup. And they haven't won a cup yet, right? Then they've gotten yeah. to the finals once, and and they've had honestly the best goalie. Well. Eh, debatable, but like in my opinion, between Jaguar, Quick, and Nabokov, N- Nabokov's number one. And then you yeah. look at who they've traded away out of Kiprasov and Toss. Like they should have had more success, so they just become a laughing stock. It's it it, it almost feel it, I, I'm not gonna say like that they're cursed. I just feel like they always seem to have the worst luck when it comes to getting into the post. Mm-hmm. And they get into the playoffs. It's about once they get there. They usually run into the wrong team at the wrong time. Or the classic thing for many years for me as a fan was every year just felt like they were missing one little thing. So it's like, okay, they were missing some goal scoring. So they go out and they get Danny Heatley. Okay, so they're lacking some defense. So they go out and they get someone like Brett Burns. Okay, they miss some goaltending. So they make a trade with LA and get, you know, Martin Jones. I mean, it was well, that, blew my, that blew my Burns mind. Burns was a winger when you got traded for him. Yeah, I, mean, he yeah, could, I know. He, so like – 
That, that always confused me. That trade right. always confused me. I mean, I truthfully think that they should look for, you know, we'll, we'll cut real quick, but I just think that he, they should put him back at the wing and just yeah. find a new defenseman at this point. That's, um, yeah, I, I think that would be the smartest thing to do because of the fact that the Sharks have very little going for them in their farm system and also with regards to draft capital. Yeah, and the offense was, was very tragic. So we for what for we that. got to see this year. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I also I also am a big fan of the Sharks, um, and I couldn't help but feel the backlash when people would laugh at me um, because we literally would lose to LA, and mm-hmm. our response to trying to beat LA was yep. to grab in their backup, and then he he does amazing, and then has just every year has looked worse and worse, and then. Aaron Dell is the the backup to that is just well, insane. I mean, it, it's it's tough because you know for many years it was like trying to get over the hump of getting past LA, and then mm-hmm. once the Sharks got past that, you started to see the Kings, um, you know, regress, and they were getting older. So you felt like okay, great, but then they just jump into another hurdle, which now they have to deal with Vegas, and they've yep. developed this whole hatred towards Vegas for the for for the past two years that they've met each other and. Like I said, like it's like once they get past those teams, it just they just add like they like, they just get over and they have to do another hurdle. So like when they beat Vegas last year in the way that they did, to me it just felt like okay, finally I think you can somewhat say that maybe the Sharks have a legitimate chance of not only getting back to the finals but maybe having a shot. And when they faced St. Louis, I had a, a lot of confidence that they could beat St. Louis because they had done that in previous years in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Little did I know the Blues had a lot of magic and juju going for them at the time. And, uh, you know, the, the whole goal that Eric Carlson scored um, pretty much ended the series for the Sharks, uh, ironically, because uh, after that, the Sharks did not win another game in that series. And not only that, they got the crap kicked out of them the next three games. Yeah. So... You know, it's it, my dad has this positive thinking of like one of these years it's going to happen. And I go, it's <laughs> you never know. You always feel like at some point it's going to finally come to an end. And maybe this year with all the injuries and all the, the, the bad crap that was going on, maybe this is like the beginning of the end, so to speak, of that whole era where the Sharks were really good consistently. They need to go back to those like beautiful teal, white, gray, Oh, Black like the ones that they the ones, the ones they had yeah. immediately? Yeah. yeah, they need to go back to those. those There's been great. nothing to compare to oh, those jerseys. Yeah, and the classic shark logo, like the little the the um you know what? Yeah, that 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 was a great yeah. look. And uh, I wish I wish they even if they just brought back an alternate, I would be happy to see. They that. brought one back like a year or two ago, but they only wore it for like two, three games yeah, and they no, haven't worn it, it yeah. since. I think it was they just a couple Thursday games. I, I yeah. personally like um their newer um secondary pass that they got yep. with the with the fin i think Ooh. that you bring back the old school look with that gray in it put the fin yeah, on it. i think that'd look really nice yeah it's uh, i think it's one of the more iconic looks in the nhl and i think because they brought in the whole you know like teal and black and silver like together i think it just like added a new dynamic to like how people looked at like you know jerseys and everything and it, it makes for creativeness i mean i i personally love the third uh, alternate that the Sharks have now, the, the all, the, pretty much the all-black one I think is great. Um, but Shane brings up a really good point. Bringing back the old uniforms from when they first came into the league, when they were playing in the, in the Cow Palace, uh, that, would be, that would be something to behold. I would love to see that. I kind of figured they would have did that the year that they went to the to the Stanley Cup. You know, twenty five years into the league, you yeah. know, I figured you would you would have like an homage to your your original look. 
would make sense. You know, you would think, but Ottawa wasn't that smart either. Um, <laughs> you know, I wish a lot of teams would bring back their old, like, 90s look. I think the 90s were an underrated era of hockey jerseys. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, the Devils should bring back this one more often. Yeah, 100%. Bring back, bring the, back the red that, one with yo, the white one. Just the fact through. that... San, uh, LA went back to that like the Raider colorway. Yeah, beautiful. That it's is so, it's a beautiful jersey, and yeah. I think Great. you know more teams should go back to the old like look. Well, I, I think, I, I Col- think Colorado went back to the old look because they yes, realized they people hated their new look. Yeah, it was it was not as good. Um, I mean, I think I think you see the the success that the the '90s trend had with um with the Canucks this year, that spaghetti skate jersey. Mm. I think that people mm. I think that teams might, you know, I'm sure their sales went up when they when they released that. Yeah. I think that teams might jump on that bus. You know, like the nineties trend is, is is always gonna be big. It was a great time for hockey and a lot of really good jerseys came out in the nineties. So like you're saying, having that Raider style LA look, I mean, truthfully I think that their best colors are the black and gray together or that black and silver, you know, and not necessarily so much of that white. I think that makes them stand out as, as a more of a unique team. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, all right. I got, I just got a simple last one, you know, uh, yeah. last thing for Neil, you know, uh, let's just go like favorite player growing up and maybe someone that you dislike. Hmm. Well, I guess. I I get, there you go. Um, I guess for me, my favorite player growing up is probably an obvious one, and it's Martin Brodeur because not only did he was he happy, yeah, finally that's Shane, a positivity for Shane. choice that I made. But yeah, no, I mean, watching him, I got a chance for at least a couple of years when I was very young to see him play in what was considered his prime and really see you know how good he was. And not only did he help me in develop my love for the game of hockey and the devils but also it kind of motivated me to want to actually play the sport and also be a goalie like i ended up playing as a goalie in high school for a year and a half that's awesome um a a big reason with that was because of martin bradera and being as good as he was um and that's you know um he was the guy that i looked up to and i've had a chance to meet him a couple times i actually met him back in uh december of this past year i met him in person he's he's just He's a really nice guy. He really is. He's just, he has so much enthusiasm for talking hockey, talking about the devils. And he just makes you feel like, you know, you've known him your whole life, you know, because he has that type of personality. So that's, that's what, um, that's, that's what makes him great. And uh, I had a chance to watch him play his last game as a devil um, in in New Jersey. And uh, that was, that was a pretty cool moment. I've seen a lot of really cool moments. I saw him when he broke Patrick Wall's win record. Also, when he broke Patrick Wall's shutout record as well when they were in Philly. Um, so I, I've seen Martin Bader make a lot of huge strides as the, the, the best goaltender in NHL history. And uh, I know that's been a huge topic on social media the last couple of weeks. Uh, NB, NHL and NBC Sports has decided to really piss off a lot of people with asking that question numerous times. Um, but, yeah, Martin Bader. I mean, it is a good debate. It is a good debate. I, I agree 100% it's a good debate. Shame. Um, but, uh, yeah, Martin Brodeur is the guy that I grew up with and the guy that became my favorite player and still is my favorite player of all time. I guess the guy that I would hate, you know, there, there, are, there aren't that many, 
that I've experienced that I, I I've really sat there and said like, wow, I legitimately do not like this, this player. Um, but I guess if I really had to look at like guys that I didn't like that, I really, you know, there's, you know, Sean Avery is one of them. Uh, you know, just not, you know, but I've grown to like him a lot more the last handful of years um, just because of, you know, the things that he does is, is hysterical, but um, geez, you know, there's, there's a bunch of them, but I think, I think the guy that really um, used to anger me, and he, I mean, he still does to, to an extent is probably um, Connor McDavid. I would say I have a, I have a big issue with Connor McDavid, um, and that's primarily because of how good he is. It has nothing to do with like his personality or like, or like you know, you know what he does on the ice. I just wish that, like, as a Devils fan, I would wish we'd had somebody. We have somebody that good, and I just think that calling him the next Wayne Gretzky is just something that I see as something. It's. I don't think he will be. I think he'll go down as a great player, probably a Hall of Fame player, no question about it. But to say that he's the next Wayne Gretzky is just – it still bothers me to this day that people still call him like McJesus or McGod, as well, I've heard. You know what happens when, when you put a tie when – you, when you try to, to be like, okay, he's going to be the next him. Yeah. His whole career is followed with debate and backlash. You know, every – he has now critiqued everything he does, you know. But that's been McDavid yeah. since he was like 13. And I think it's fair to call him the next Gretzky because he will be this generation's Gretzky. Say what you, you want to say from this generation, yeah. Say what you want about Crosby, but McDavid, you know, he was on pace his for what has been five years or four seasons since uh, he's yeah. mm-hmm. he was on he like if he did not get hurt his rookie year. He would have been on pace for four straight hundred point seasons. Yeah. There's been no one else to do that. Yeah. He has yeah. like he has been the most dominant player in the league since he's entered. It's not his fault that he hasn't had any success around him because Edmonton's management up until this point was shit. Yeah. But you know, I think if you were to like this is exactly the same yeah. thing that Ovechkin has had, yeah. where he has been a more dominant player than Crosby with realistically a less so like less supporting characters like and i think you know if you switch ovechkin and crosby with pittsburgh and washington pittsburgh still has the same success they have because yeah crosby was a vocal point but they also had the goaltending you know with with flurry and murray and malkin malkin is a number one on any team right you have letang who was a, a solid like Latang and you had other pieces in there that were solid people like solid pieces realistically what has Ovechkin had to work with up until the last couple of years when they got Kinesnov and Wilson and Carlson finally started to turn a turn a page yeah Hopi really started to come his own like he's only yeah. really had Backstrom I mean Ovechkin's had plenty of years where he's basically had to carry the entire team to the postseason and by the time you get there it's it's not just about one player it's about a nucleus of guys coming together, playing as a team and coming through in those situations. And for Crosby, he's had more players like that in most of his career. And for Ovechkin, like you just said, Shane, it's only been the last couple of years, uh, particularly when they won the Stanley Cup, where Ovechkin's had other guys that can complement him and and help him get to that point. Um, You know, and McDavid, it's kind of like, 
you know, McDavid does have guys that, that can eventually become those, but it's, it's about can their management just not shoot themselves in the foot? You know, and, and luckily they have Ken Holland now, so maybe that will give them some sort of um, boost. Um, I don't know if, how Edmonton would have done had they made the playoffs this year or if they make the playoffs, depending on the season continues. But, you know, you, you just kind of – I think he's – I think McDavid's going to be more under the microscope because of the fact that he hasn't had much playoff experience. Not all his fault, but, you know, being the star player, you get that type of um, – pressure on you but I think the only other player I would say that I've really kind of disliked other than McDavid is probably Jonathan Marcheseau and that's basically during his whole time with Vegas because I think that Jonathan Marcheseau um is a sore loser um and I think he I think the way he he came out after losing game seven on the road against San Jose in the first round and talking about how it should have been a five minute and everything. It's like, but that that's not an excuse for why you blew a three games to one lead. And also why you blew a three goal lead in the third period and didn't call a timeout until after the sharks had taken the lead and made it four to three. Like he tried to, th- and he constantly was cussing and moaning at the Reds. And I was like, well, if you know, if you're a Vegas fan, this is welcome to the NHL playoffs because you're going to have situations like this where things don't go your way. But for him to just say that, say those things and to be the type of, and to basically mouth off just pissed me off and it, it's irritated me. And I think he's a very good player, but he just irritates the crap out of me. All right. Yeah. Uh, the original question was, was it, what was a team that you kind of disliked, oh, but I, th- but I think, Oh no, I mean, no, no, I no, think- no, 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 no. Uh, you kind of answered that when yeah. I asked you, uh, you know, how'd you get into hockey with, with right. the uh, Carolina as a kid? So I was like, let's just change it up and just give him, let's see who he doesn't like Ooh. that much right now. So no, you, you did it right. You didn't you say did Niedermeyer. I've heard a lot of Devils fans hate Niedermeyer because he left to go play with his brother in Anaheim. And I never understood I, it. I, I guess, with, I guess for me, I wouldn't say I was, you know, it was a little bit surprising because of the fact that he'd been there his entire career. But at the same time, it didn't bother me because I knew why he was doing it and I understood. And it was great for him to win a cup with his brother. And I know how important that type of stuff is. So, if you want to talk about heartbreak and like heart wrenching and like at a young age, when you have your favorite team going against your favorite goaltender mm-hmm. and then your two favorite goaltenders going against each other with your, fa- like your favorite like some of your favorite players in New Jersey in 03 and then in 07 when yeah. it was your favorite goaltender. You're totally like, and realistically Ottawa should have like, could have won that series. But again, it comes down to depth. That team was like, that Anaheim team was Jaguar, Pronger, yeah. Niedermeyer, Getzlaff. Like that team was stacked and they should have won. Ottawa had no chance yeah. because they just, between Heatley, Spezza and Alfredson, they had 66 points combined. Like it just, I mean, again, Ottawa was one of those teams that year where they were riding on such, such uh, a big high, and also they had the juju going that year. They just well, they had, were had they were a solid team. They were they had yeah. the goaltending. Yeah. you know, it was just they got played by they got outplayed by a more experienced team, which more, is why I say and I think in a 06, more physical team. Honestly, oh, hundred percent. I think were, I think I think physically, when you saw how that series went, 
you could see the, phys the physicality of the series was taking a toll on Ottawa at one point, especially when you got to game seven. You could see how beat up some of the guys were, Alfredson, Healy, like they were kind of banged up at that point. So you were just kind of hoping as a Senators fan that like they could, you know, push through that and still get through. I still thought that Ottawa had a good chance in game Honestly, seven. I still well, they didn't go they to did. seven. They didn't go seven. Oh, it they went, went like um, it went five. With five, okay. I, yeah, they I got still, a lot. I mean, that series probably, if it was less physical, it would have gone longer. Because I think skill-wise, some of the guys that Ottawa had, especially performing at that time, I think would have. Oh six was our year. Our, like this, if you want to talk about a team that has had hurdles, oh three Ottawa, oh six Ottawa, and oh seven Ottawa. What about twenty seventeen Ottawa? We played way above our head. We should not have been there. We got lucky. They we got lucky I against Boston because final, uh, Boston, you know, when they they lost, they had like four of their top six hurt. Right. Like their their original like Ottawa played really well. They played above their head uh, in the Boston series and in the New New York series. Mm. If they beat Pittsburgh in Game Seven, they win the cup. I think I, I think if Ottawa had gotten to the finals against they would have won. I think they would have won. Yeah, Easily. I agree with you. Um, and I think than, than, than Nashville. Yeah, I just I think we over like we played over our head. There were teams that struggled in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, and it's it's crazy to think about like that's like the last time Ottawa was like legitimately good because from that point you just see like the horrible management that is Eugene Wilnick. It wasn't even a horrible management. It wasn't even I don't even that's a who that's a different discussion. So <laughs> Torres wasn't was not a number one center. He's never been a number one center. We didn't trade for him to be a number one center. Yeah, we traded him to be a number two behind Spezza. Spezza right. wanted out because the fans hated him for no reason. I don't so understand that. Because so he became our default number one. Right. Zabanajad couldn't figure out what the, if he mm -hmm. wanted to be an NHL player or a DJ or whatever. <laughs> and Ottawa didn't want to continue <laughs> to to feed it. So they're like, all right, we're gonna. Uh, we're going to trade you for a player who will slot in our, you know, as our number two center, who will be a solid piece. And he was, it was a great trade at the time. Yeah. But the, the constant thing was that we needed a true number one center. Yeah, I mean, they wanted, got that because they ended up getting Matthew Shane. Turris wanted too much money. He wanted like seven, right. eight mil, not worth it. Mm -hmm. So we traded him for Duchesne. The problem was that that locker room was already divided and trading Turris unraveled it well it, it, it kind of brought it kind of brought it to the point of no return basis yeah it just the, the yeah. locker room fell apart yeah right. and i mean and it just, i don't even think it has anything to do with ownership or management at that point it just and i think too many fans and this is my problem with sense fans is they think too much with their heart and not enough with their head mm -hmm. where everything's the ownership fault everything's management where they don't give they don't put responsibility on players yeah and what happens in the locker room? Yes, okay. Boucher should not be should not have signed a three year deal. We played over our head. His system works for like one or two seasons, and then it becomes obsolete every yeah. single time. Look what he did in Tampa; it was the same thing. So it's like, okay, cool, and it just it started to unravel. It was yeah. egos. It was too many egos. The coach wasn't the right fit. Yep. Uh, people really like tourists. You know, they were. They were just one game away from the finals. They didn't think anyone was going to get traded. Yeah. It was just, it was the perfect storm that just unraveled yeah. all the issues that were just being masked because players put their egos aside for the greater good to yeah. win. And then when Turris was traded, everyone thought, okay, 
they treated him no one's safe start to time to take care of myself no one else and it kind of just unraveled and then they had to admit that they had to go through a rebuild and honestly have no issue with it because look at the situation they're in going into this draft this is the prime example they have a chance to get two top five picks like that well here's the thing is that ottawa outside of new jersey outside of la detroit ottawa already had really good prospects in our system logan brown drake batherson uh fermenting we already had really good prospects mm. And all we did through this, the, the selling of the farm is we added to it. We've added yeah. Thompson, Norris, Balsers, Abramoff, uh, Branstrom. We've just added yeah. to that already deep prospect pool. And now the, these two picks are just going to continue to add yeah. to it. I think it's safe to say that Ottawa's gone to the point where they might have the deepest um, farm system in the NHL, considering the amount of talent that they have coming through the wings. A hundred percent. And yeah. um, people are like, People are like, oh, whoever we pick is going to play in the NHL next year. We have three, potentially max, depending on who comes back, two to three roster spots available next season. Mm. So, like, whoever we pick, I highly doubt, unless it's Lafreniere, I highly doubt they're in the NHL next year. Right. That makes a point. So, I think Ottawa's fine. I think Melnick, obviously, needed to shut his mouth way earlier than he did. (laughs) Um but overall, I think if Melnick is willing to put the money out, which he's shown with Shabbat, and once Kachuk's ready to sign whenever he's available to sign, mm-hmm. it's going to bring in faith. He's handled the the COVID stuff relatively well. It's been interesting. He's doing better. So, I don't know. I think that it's just – and the whole um, fan thing, people not showing up – is stupid and annoying and people from Toronto need to shut up about it because they have no idea what's going on in Ottawa. Like Ottawa's 50% Ottawa's demographic is 50% government workers. And if you're not familiar with the way the payment system for the federal government has been in in Canada, it's gone to crap. It's been shit. It's been inconsistent. You've had people not get paid for like two months at one point. It was so bad. Unfortunately, those people don't have extra money to spend on hockey tickets when they don't even know if they're going to be able to afford their mortgage. <laughs> There's been a lot of things out behind the scenes in Ottawa happening that have affected not just the, the 41 home games that the Senators have, and we've also gotten a lot younger. Like our city is super, like when it comes to young families, there's a lot of them. Not everyone's going to bring out their kid at a seven o'clock game on a Thursday when they have to be up at 7 a.m. for school the next day. It's just, it's not going to happen. It's it's just, yeah. And it's the same thing. Like I've made that argument before with like, with at the, at the Prudential Center with, with Devils fans, you know, a lot of people in this area tend to like make fun of Devils because they say, oh, they never sell out. Look how many empty seats. And it's like, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it other than, you're playing in Newark, which for a lot of people, a lot of people would say is not safe, uh, number one. Number two is that, like you just pointed out, Shane, like you have kids that will go to those games, but like if they have school the next day and they have to get up, you know, their, their parents are not going to just like be like totally okay with them, you know, right, going right. to those games and things like that. So there's always, there's things that are like behind the scenes that I don't think a lot of people tend to look at, but especially when you're in a smaller market, it gets blown out of proportion like people overreact to it and that's the part that i find the most ridiculous yeah it's it's frustrating because and it's also worse when your own fans start feeding into it yeah 
Right. Because even if you have a handful of fans saying like, this isn't the case, if you have any fan being like, Oh yeah, that, that's true. And it's like, mm, you just, you make it harder on yourself. Yeah, I agree. So, I don't know. I think auto is a year, maybe two years away from it being a playoff team. Just because of how shit the Atlantic is. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I got I got a little something that uh that I saw today. I know that Neil's probably very excited to talk about, which is the uh, the possibility of uh Miko uh, Lettinen yep. and the Devils. Uh, so you know, I did a little research earlier, and it's basically you know I don't know if I don't think there's anything that's that's no one's really come out and stated that it's it's something that is going to happen, but there yeah. is, there's possible talks. Um, Lettinen and uh, what Jokerit had just, uh, they terminate, they've come to agreement, they terminated his contract. So, you know, this guy is going to be there for the free agent market, you know, yeah. so this could be something big, big for New Jersey. You know, you got, you got Will Butcher, Freddie Clayson, I believe is his last name. <laughs> yeah, Clayson. So you know these these are your these are your IRs, but I mean um, you only got Connor Carrick one more season. You know, is this something possible that you can look into? I mean, you did just trade away Andy Green and Sammy Vantanen uh, by the trade yeah. deadline. So you know, is this could this benefit this team a lot a lot now, considering you know what what moves they've made? Well, you know the the thing about. You know, when I first heard about this, I think it was what they terminated his contract two days ago, I believe, or yesterday. It was one of the two days. Um, the the first thing that I, I immediately like went to Twitter to just see if I could get any research from there. And one guy tweeted out, and he was explaining that um, you know, uh, Letton is considered one of the better defensemen in the KHL. He had a pretty good season. He was having a pretty good season. Seventeen goals, thirty-two assists as a um, left-handed defenseman, which is really important considering the Devils need to upgrade the left mm -hmm. side very badly. I mean, they have to upgrade the defense in general, but certainly the left side needs to be fixed. And, you know, you have guys like Mirko Mueller that are on the left side. And I know as a doubles fan for myself, I kind of question a bunch of times as to what, when will Mirko Mueller actually develop into something that people can be happy with? Because a lot of the time he tends to be almost invisible on the ice. Like we barely see him do anything. Um, and that can be very frustrating. And you did bring up uh, Freddie Clayson, who um, does have another year on his contract, I believe, or I think he's a free agent at the end of this year. I'm not totally sure. But you have him. You have Will Butcher, who was out, you know, during, you know, during that whole point just before the um, we got put on hiatus. So you, and you have to you have to consider, you know, paying him eventually because you, you paid a lot of money to extend uh, Nico Hishier and Will Butcher and Jesper Brad are both from that same year as well. So you have to start considering when you start paying them money. But when it comes to getting, you know, better talent for the defense, getting somebody like Lettinen would be a really good upgrade, particularly because what it does is it not only, um, you know, helps the left side of defense and the defense in general in the short term, but it allows for someone like Ty Smith, who I think would benefit from having, you know, some time in the minor leagues in the AHL, um, before coming up to the big club, uh, it would give the Devils an opportunity to have somebody else perform um, for for a year or so, and uh, you know help the team out in the in the uh, in the now stage, so that in the future Ty Smith can eventually come up and we can kind of go from there. Because at the end of the day, Ty Smith is the number one prospect on this team. 
from a lot of people's perspective, particularly when it comes to the defense. Everybody has been talking about Ty Smith since we drafted him two years ago. We thought he was going to make the team out of his rookie year, and he nearly did. He actually went overseas when the Devils started the season um, in, uh, in Switzerland, but um, he ended up you know, going back to juniors after that. And this past season, I mean, Ty Smith was arguably the best player in the OHL. He was ridiculous the way he performed. He was, he was honestly the best defenseman, in my opinion, considering what he was able to accomplish. Um, and a lot of people say, well, why are the Devils waiting so long for him to, you know, get called up? You know, we need him right now. And a lot of people make good points to say, well, do you really want to put him in a situation where the team is not really winning right now? And you kind of, you know, is he really learning very much? You know, it's, it's so the Devils are trying to take him, you know, slowly – but surely to get him called up. But getting a guy like Miko Lettinen would be a really good thing because I don't think it would cost the Devils too much considering the amount of salary cap that they have. Um, I know that Tom Fitzgerald, especially when he was working under Ray Shiro, they're very, they're very active when it comes to looking at guys overseas. As you saw when they ended up getting uh, Nikita Gusev, they were very high on him. And I know that they are very high on, on Miko Lettinen. It just kind of depends on how much does Lettinen want? Because he's 27 years old. Um, he's pretty much right now in the prime of his career. And even though he hasn't played in the NHL, is he going to be asking for a lot of money? Because sometimes with these, pro with these guys that are going to be rookies, even though they're 27, 28, and they come from Russia or Finland or whatever league, they tend to try to ask for more money than maybe they would actually get um, performance-wise because they need time to, get the, to you know, develop in the NHL. Nikita Gusev, I bring up because he's the prime example. It took him a while for him to, to get accustomed to the NHL game. But once he did, he started really performing. And he's not getting paid a whole lot for two years, but that's primarily because the Devils say that they want to see him understand how to play the NHL game and grow. And I think the same thing could be said with Nico Lettinen. It could be the same thing where maybe they try to get him on a two-year you know, two deal worth something like – $2.5 million or $3 million, you know, nothing too incredible. Um, and I don't think the Devils will want to go out and give a lot of money to another big-name defenseman like they have with P.K. Subban making $9 million. But I think getting a guy like this, as opposed to maybe trying to force themselves to get into those big-money contracts on free agency, um, I think would be a really good uh, pickup for the short term and would help develop uh, more for the long term. So I'm just going to clarify something real quick before people jump down on us. Uh, Ty, Smith is in, uh, Ty Smith is in the Western Hockey League, not Western the Hockey Ontario League. Hockey League. Right. So before people listen and be right. like, that's not right, I'm just going to clarify that real quick. I appreciate, I appreciate that. I actually do appreciate that. Because like in my head, I was like, I know it's not the QMJHL, and I swear I'm going to get it wrong, but I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, Western Hockey League for the Spokane Chiefs. Right, right. Nice. Spoke, right the Chiefs. All right. I know, um, I know you were looking at me, Shane, and I thought for a second you were gonna you were gonna tell me you were gonna tell me like disagreed <laughs> with my take on on Ty Smith, but now I can see what you meant. Yeah, he he started pacing a little bit. I saw it. He was like, okay, I think <laughs> like it looked like he was about to start another debate with me. So I was, I was careful, yeah, we would have had to cut that. We would have had to turn that into a part two. We could have almost got two right. episodes well, out I, of that. I think I think it could be interesting because he remember the, the Devils are not the only team interested. I know the Rangers have some interest. I know the Montreal Canadiens are very high on him. So he will definitely have suitors. Um, I have heard that a lot of people would say that the Devils are probably the, the team that's number one 
just because they've done the most work and they've done the most due diligence and research on him. But I don't, I don't know. I think, I think at the end of the day, it might come down to who gives Letton in the most money. I, that's, that's the way I look at it in this situation. Mm-hmm. Money uh, in term. Either, either one of y'all know what is the current cap for New Jersey right 5. now? Oh, the current. Well, no, that's the current cap. For well, no, no, no. How much, how much they got left? Right? Uh, they have oh, like they have 8 about, million left. They have about 18 million. The Devils going next year? Oh, yeah, going into next season, they have 18 million. They have 18 okay. and a half million dollars. Yeah. Now, what, you know, now this is something, this is something that I kind of saw on Twitter as, as I don't think it's a trend, but I did tw- see. Go ahead. They have 28.745 heading into next season. Okay. Ooh. So that's, that's big. All right. So this, this could kind of lead to what I'm about to say. And, and this is really for both of y'all because both of y'all can really weigh in on it. Um, is that now I've seen this. I didn't think it was, I don't think it's a trend or anything like that, but I did see mm-hmm. it four times on Twitter, uh, different people about a possibility of New Jersey looking towards maybe a Corey, uh, a Tory Krug considering that they need a left spot filled, you know, his, his, I believe he's, he's ending his, uh, his, what you call it? I'm sorry. His, his contract uh, with Boston. Jesus yeah. Christ. Thank you. Uh, his contracts ended up, he's sitting at five flat right now. So, you know, I know that we yeah. don't need to bring in someone like PK making non. I think that was a big, I think that was a bust. I think that we're going to get some, something good out of PK, but I don't think at 9 million, I think that's a little astronomical, but. I mean, I think Krug would be a great addition, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah, neither do I, because again, I don't see the Devils, especially since they ha- they've had a new ownership, have never been big on getting guys with that much cat with that much you know salary. The the trade for PK Subban was primarily because you know Ray Shiro wanted to get guys around Taylor Hall that could help them try to you know, make mm-hmm. the playoffs this year and, and everything like that. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't have made the deal. Um, the Devils, I know for a fact, are going to basically try to do what they did last year, and that is take advantage of teams that are going to be cap strong. And considering that the cap will probably not go up at all and it's probably not. stay where it is, I think the Devils will just want to take advantage of teams that are going to be, you know, in, in cap hell you know, in the off season. Um, but getting a guy like Tory Krug, I mean, that would be a really, really good pickup. And he would be a guy that could fit in, you know, considerably with what the Devils are trying to accomplish. But I agree with Shane. I just, I don't I ex- see it working out because of the money. I expect Krug to sign a cheap one-year deal in Boston, go okay. for a cup next year, and then see what happens when the, yeah. cap, when the cap goes up, if the cap goes I could, up. I could see him getting a Why? Pre- I mean, the only problem is that he's, He's 29 going on 30, so, Mm -hmm. you know. But why – if you – winning is the most important thing to players. If you know – because no team is – outside of, like, five teams, no one's going to have the cap to pay Krug $8 million. Right. Like, so why not take a two-year – a one-year, two, three-million-dollar deal to stay in Mm -hmm. Boston, go for another cup, and then when the cap increases – you bring up a very good point because I think you're going to see a lot of players who are expected to be free agents this offseason take a one or two year deal because of the fact that the salary cap is where it is and maybe they want to go back into free agency the next year when the salary cap is where it should be and everything's settled again and then go for it because like you said Chan, I don't think you know I, I, I don't see a whole lot of teams especially cup contending teams being like, 
well, we, we could give you five, six, seven million dollars for how many years? I just don't see it happening. If Tory Krug, if, if Tory Krug was about trying to get the biggest deal, he would get the big deal from a team, a, a, a team with a lot of cap space, and that's going to be a lot of the teams that are towards the bottom the of, bottom end of, the, of the NHL. And it's like, do you really want to go from being on a team that, you know, was one win away from winning the Stanley Cup last year, or, uh, or do you want to be with a team that, you know, is another maybe three or four years away from being a Stanley Cup contender? Which is why I think Peter Angelo is going to do the same thing and stay in St. Uh, St. Louis. Wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. I really wouldn't if you saw a lot of players. Yeah, that's why I think even, like, Taylor Hall will probably take a one year. Taylor Hall is a fucking goof. <laughs> Dude's a cancer. Oh man, yeah. it's, he's, he certainly has developed somewhat of a reputation around the league. That's for just sure. watch if there if this was a regular, uh, like a, a regular circumstance in Arizona, missed the playoffs. They're winning. They I would guarantee you that they win the lottery. I could see that. I could see consider. Yeah, yeah. I could see. I could. Yeah, you know it's that's Taylor what Hall. Arizona's been. Uh, that's what Arizona was kind of riding on at this point. That they're saying, uh, well. Maybe Taylor Hall could give us the same amount of luck, and it said you got a got a pretty big hill to climb in order to get the amount of luck that you need. But don't put it past them. But Tory Krug would be interesting. Um, you know, obviously the big ticket, the big guy that people are talking about is Alex Petrangelo. But but Shane does bring up a good point. I mean, I think it wouldn't surprise me to see him take a one-year deal to remain on a competitive team for another year, and then maybe when the salary cap is where it needs to be he then gets the big money deal from whomever. So, Because, again, the rise of the salary cap that we were supposed to get was supposed to benefit especially the teams that were struggling with salary cap. And if you look at St. Louis, they were going to be able to afford Alec Petrangelo and that big money contract had the salary cap gone up. And but it's now, not. It's, now it's not. They're kind, of, they're kind of in a situation where they're hoping that either they're, – they're kind of hoping basically that, that they he can – He takes a team friendly. Right. That he just says, look – you got to take this year. And I think that that's what you're going to end up seeing a lot of players do. They're going to they're gonna say that, and they're just going to deal with it, and that's just how it's going to go for at least this year. It's going to be interesting to see. I think teams like Ottawa and New Jersey are definitely going to take advantage of it. Uh, there's probably a couple of guys on one-year deals that are at like three, four million. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. Probably going to just get a second-round pick in return, like as a compensation for taking it on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that's really been driving me uh, crazy the last couple of days is um, the NHL talking about conditional picks because there's several teams like the Devils who have conditional first-round picks, because, and that's obviously with the condition of if so-and-so team made the playoffs. And I know that the Devils have the first-round pick from Arizona, and they still have the, and they have the first-round or what was going to be the first-round pick from Vancouver if Vancouver had made the playoffs. And now we're starting to hear about um, – well, because of the fact that we may not have to – we can't really continue the season, the teams would have to forfeit their conditional picks for prospects. Like, that would be the, the flip. And I do not like that one bit because that gives the team who gave up the conditional pick an opportunity to try to convince a team to take a prospect that maybe is not the prospect that they're ho- – that the other that the Devils were looking for, and maybe you know a guy that they hope could pan out, and then they get screwed in this situation. And there's nobody really to blame um, for this. No person, obviously, to blame. But I, I it, a lot of the time, if if they end up deciding to do this whole thing with giving up with teams giving up conditional picks, 
and having to give them back, I think that you would see a lot of arbitration happening. I think the Devils would have to go into arbitration uh, a bunch if that happens because the Devils were expected to have three first-round picks going into this year. And this, so this was going to be a vital year when it came to the actual rebuild that the Devils are, tech, are, are in now because I can actually say that. Um, so it's, that, that's it's one thing that has really been irritating me. And I really hope it doesn't come to that point because, again, I wouldn't want to see the Devils have to take a lower-tier prospect if it had to come to that point because they couldn't keep their conditional first-round pick that they traded, that they, uh, that they acquired. I think the best option would just move it to next season. That I, no longer, that okay. I would be, I would be no, fine And it's it not a conditional. Yeah. Right. The team forfeits up their, their 2021 pick. Yeah. It's that simple. Or, or they just forfeit up their 2020. Yeah. Like, why are you punishing the teams that traded the picks? Right. Like, I just say forfeit right. the 2020. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to punish those teams that they made those moves because they were, they're in a rebuild and they're trying to get more assets. They're trying to get, you know, more draft capital. And now you're punishing them because, the, because we didn't have a playoff and because this team, like, was there a guarantee that Vancouver was going to make the playoffs? Not 100%, but I think there was a good chance that they probably were going to get in. I think if you do that, you have to base it off the stand. If there's a draft – my honestly, ideally, I say, you know, screw it. Go back to the sixty-eight game mark. Mm-hmm. The the points based off that six, like the the standings based on that sixty-eight game mark. You're in the playoffs or you're not. It's that simple. And then I'm, you base I'm little, the. I'm see. I'm still I'm still against that primarily because I look at the teams that are only a point or two out, and it's just very unfair. The other idea that I heard that I thought was kind of ridiculous was the one where it was like. Every Some teams are going to get screwed out. It's either teams get screwed out of draft picks or they get screwed out of playoffs. Yeah, it's one well, of the that's two. That's the thing. Like it's it's a lose. It's it's almost like a lose lose situation. Unless, honestly, like, if you want to do it, give them compensatory picks. Add in. There's what four teams that are fighting for a playoff spot. Really, you got yeah. Columbus. You got the Carolina, Rangers. And you got the Islanders. And so you got four, and then you have what like three in the East max or in the West max. Three in the West, yeah. So you have seven teams max fighting for like actually fighting for teams. So you like, compensate them based. Give off them an extra season. second round. No, you yeah, give them a give second them, round yeah. pick. That Listen, wouldn't be a bad idea either. Give, from, them, give them an extra pick from sixty-two, from, from sixty-two to to seventy, whatever. How many? The other funny thing is this: just give some them a compensatory pick. Some of those teams, I, I know that there's not a good chance of this, but you know what? There could be a team that could get you know you know, prevented from going to the playoffs, let's say the Rangers or the Islanders or somebody like that, and their first-round pick that they may or may not have could go from being, like, a, a, a middle-of-the-pack pick to all of a sudden it could jump from that to, like, a top-five pick, and they could be totally happy with that. Like, I know the Rangers would be probably happy with that if that was the case. If they were told, you, you're not going to make – you know, like, you're not going to get in the playoffs because, you know, this is the situation, and then they go into the lottery, and all of a sudden their pick – goes from middle of the pack to boom, you have a top five pick again. You know, I don't think a lot of Rangers fans would get upset because they'd say, okay, we get another really talented player into our system that we continue to use in our, in our rebuild. Same thing. I mean, even the Islanders could use, could use another top player if, you know, they're going to still have a problem, you know, still struggle. They don't have the first round pick. They don't have their, who they gave it to? Mm -hmm. They gave it to Ottawa. Ottawa. The Peugeot trade. So Ottawa, I mean, and Ottawa (laughs) could really benefit from it because Ottawa could get a third Top ten pick if they win. Yeah, Ottawa has top. three picks guaranteed. So, you know that that's a very good point. It's just to 
the, the, the possible decision to just force teams to give back conditional picks is just a very bad idea, and it's going to cause a lot of problems, particularly for the Devils, because, again, they would have, with that pick from Vancouver, they would have three first-round picks, and they really need as many picks as possible in order to, get a, to create a bigger farm system. They right. really need it. And because of the situation that they're in, they can't afford to have that happen because if they get a lower tier prospect, it's like all we can hope for is this guy becomes a great first or second line guy or something like that, that we can benefit from. If not, the Canucks get their first round pick back for a guy that doesn't pan out with, with the team and the devils basically get in, in, in theory, the devils would get nothing in return. So I, I don't want to have to come to the point where you're being forced to give away conditional picks that we traded away players in order to get that pick. Shane, final thoughts? I mean, it's definitely interesting on, on what they're going to do. Um, but it's not the league's fault that the GM at the time was stupid and just got all these conditional picks. I mean, to be fair, for Vancouver, it wasn't on them. It was on Tampa. But they have a lot of conditional picks this year and next year. They have yeah. three. I mean – I get it that you're punishing the team that traded them, but at the same time, you're, you know, if you're so sure, don't ask for a conditional pick. Just get the guaranteed pick. Right. And, you know, I think that's what it comes down to is, um, and I mean, realistically, all, all, all New Jersey is going to be losing is the conditional pick from Vancouver for Coleman. And I feel like any team, any prospect from Vancouver system is better than the – and again, if, and for, for Vancouver in this situation, it's this year or next year's pick. So all you can do is defer it to next season and there's right. no issue. So that might New Jersey, be eventual decision there. New, New Jersey's in a better situation yeah. where because the first-round pick they got from Tampa out of Vancouver – it's a conditional pick for 2020 if they make the playoffs. Right. They don't. It, it becomes an automatic 21, 2021 first-round pick. Right. So if they're like, okay, you know what, screw it. Every team that is non-condition or that has a condition, like even even Arizona's, it's only if it's top three. Right. And if it's if it is top three, then it's a it's automatically a 2021. So New Jersey's not going to be giving away any picks. Because of at least at least no any first round picks they're going it's either going to be twenty twenty or twenty twenty one so it's just more of a complicated it's just more of a complicated situation because again like we we were mentioning because of the fact that we have this whole covid nineteen situation and we don't know when we're going to try to continue the season and even when we might have a draft I know we might try to have it in early June it's just more of the fact that like what if there, you know, it's always that possibility of like, what if there's a player that the Devils could have drafted with, um, <laughs> with, uh, with the pick? Ah. I got distracted because the mascot just walked right in front of Shane's camera. That was awesome. <laughs> that was actually awesome. She's but being good today, so he is. Yeah, he, he is being very quiet. But um, it's it's I I do I do feel that the NHL will make some sort of decision. I just don't think that no matter what decision that they make, anybody's going to like it, but I still am. I'm still really uneasy about the whole idea of being of having to possibly give up 
the conditional pick just in general and have to take a prospect in exchange because there's no guarantee that the prospect could be what it is. But then again, there can be no, there's no guarantee that the player that the Devils draft could be right. good. Exactly. No. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a tough situation. Yeah, I mean, you can always just select another Zaka, and we know how well that turned out. Don't start. We're so, gonna, we're so gonna, close to the end. Zaka, but <laughs> I was going to mention him. Yeah. That's a, that's a topic for another day. Well, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, all right, folks. Uh, we're going to wrap it up right here. This is a really good episode. Uh, still heated. Maybe not as much this time, but I think we learned a lot. A lot. Just, for just as much. What's up? Schneider for Horvat. Oh my God! All right, <laughs> we ain't even gonna start. All right, uh, all right, folks. Uh, we're gonna be heading out of here. You know, um, as always, we guys. You know, as of late, we we want you guys to be safe. Uh, we're heading into a new week, so you know the same thing. You know, let's just stay indoors if you can. If you gotta yep. go outside, just just be fucking careful, and uh, you know, stay healthy. You know, as always, I'm the Bayou Benders. You can find me at Bayou Benders on Instagram and Twitter. Shane, where can we find you with your brand new fucking email? <laughs> email. Yeah, new email. Name, well, I don't fucking me. know. Name, whatever. Uh, you can find me at Shane underscore Ryan 97 or uh, Centurion 92 on Twitter. You can also check out my other podcast, uh, 13th Man, covering the CFL. Uh, that's about it. All right, and Neil, where where can we where where can the new fans find you, bud? All right, so you you can find me on Twitter at the NVP Show, which is uh, T H E N V P S H O W, and you can also find me on Instagram at NVP QB Eleven, um, and you can uh, chat with me on there as well. Uh, I'm I'm probably I would say I'm more active on Twitter. So if you guys have any things you guys want to talk about, uh, just message me on on Twitter, and usually I'll get back to everybody pretty quickly. There you go, folks. Uh, uh, As always, you guys, you know, have a great night. Have a great week. Be safe. Go fucking devils. Uh, All right, folks, we'll talk to you all next time. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.